Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. My name is, is Laurel Hall, and we have been coming to Faith Bridge for four years, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm Stephen Hall, and uh, I'm with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been, uh, I guess we were sort of, a, we were apprentices in a, in a grow group of, uh, of empty nesters for about three years. Luann Riley approached us uh, uh, to, to pray about uh, leading or, or perhaps helping to start up a, a group of young professionals, as she uh, called it. And of course, immediately we thought, we're not young. <laughs> we thought she was had the wrong people. You know, as we prayed about it, the timing was really right. And we were excited about um, a new uh, season or a new adventure. And uh, so we said yes. I think before we found um, the Hal Grow Group, I I just knew something was missing, and I wanted community, but I was just so scared to like dive in and just oh, what are these people going to think about me? And you know, what if people are judging me for you know what I'm going through? And it's it was hard, but I knew I was craving it, and I think I was just the fact of not having community was like stressing me out more. We went to Faith Bridge 101 in January, and um, kind of uh, got plugged in there, became interested in serving and uh, getting involved in a, a group, building a community of uh, believers and that would kind of encourage us and also allow us to help encourage others. I think something that works well with this group being multi-generational, uh, the four of us are of a different season than um, the younger people. So we've been through a lot, we've lived life, um, and so we're not as hesitant to share. So I think our transparency has allowed them to uh, open up and ask for prayer and be transparent as well. It is an interesting mix. Um, and I think you you might think, or someone might think that, that the people who are 30 years older than the others may have all the answers or may have more answers than the other, but that's really not the way it's been. Stephen and I are learning as much from them as they are from us. It's a good community, and um, we're just thankful the, the young people are, are not embarrassed to be hanging out with us. <laughs> you know, times are going to come when it, it, everything's not all sweetness and light. You know, we're going to have our, our struggles, whether it be illnesses in our families or job difficulties or family matters. It's priceless um, when you've got a group of friends that are praying for you and with you through those times. The way to get that is in a small group. It's in a grow group. I mean, it's putting people from different backgrounds and different walks of life together uh, to kind of build a community and to make uh, stronger disciples. More and stronger disciples. Right? More and stronger disciples that make more and stronger disciples. Amen to that. Yeah, big hand for those guys for 
being on the video. Hey, and what do you know? Today is a meet and greet. You've already heard about it. That's an opportunity for you in all of our rooms, regardless of what campus you're on, to actually talk with people in different grow groups. They'll be out in the public areas, the atriums and such after the service. Why don't you stop by? find out a little bit more and let's get you connected in. We want to do that. So welcome. If you're at Faith Bridge in the Woodlands today, if you're at Faith Bridge, uh, the Klein campus, East or West Center Court or online, however it is that you're here, we're glad that you're here today. So take your Bibles and we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, but you'd like to follow along, why don't you just raise your hand? Ushers are coming down. They have Bibles. They'll pass them out. You're welcome to borrow it. You're welcome to keep it if you need one. So um, in this section of the letter of First Peter, remember, um, he's he t- been talking about leading up to this point here is who you are in Jesus Christ. Then he gets to this section on relationships and he's going to take, teach us. Now, here's how you're going to live in light of who you are. Here's how you're going to do your relationships. Specifically, he addresses your relationship with the government. How do I relate to the government if I'm a follower of Jesus? How am I going to do it with my boss? How am I going to do it with my husband, my wife, and with fellow believers in the body? Pretty much all of our relationships, he's going to say, in light of who you are, here's how you're going to do it. In a nutshell, you're going to do it with a humble, surrendered heart. Remember? And that's why we're calling the series Surrender, because we talked about last week how you really can't have a functional, healthy relationship until your heart grows soft or humble or surrendered or submitted. That's the word we really don't like. But Because this whole concept of sort of surrendering or submitting ourselves, uh, that comes hard for uh, those of us who live in this country, America. I'll speak for myself. I mean, I'm a strong-willed, you know, uh, leader kind of personality. And uh, so initially, instinctively rather, I tend to, to bristle at the thought of surrendering or, or submitting myself to much of anybody. And the texts and the emails that you sent in voluminously last week confirmed you do too. And so we're all in the same boat together. Now, many of you said, I left today, this is last Sunday, feeling uh, you know, kind of perplexed and really sort of struggling, wrestling with what God's word was saying. To which I would say, this is a good thing. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you don't ever wrestle, if you don't ever struggle with God's word, then there's probably one of two things that are going on. One, uh, either you are divine and somehow are found here with the rest of us mortals, uh, but you really already topped out, or you're not really reading it honestly. Because when we really are honestly going to God's word and letting it speak to us, it should at points pierce us and prick our hearts and uh, be inclined to make us feel a little squirmy, like I don't have it all together. I haven't really cracked the code here. There's more growth and discipleship and development to be happening in my life. 
That's just evidence of somebody who's coming to God's word seriously and reading it and struggling at points with it. So today, we're going to turn to this subject of how do I do my relationships? If I am a follower of Jesus, if I love the Lord, how do I relate to my superior, my boss, my employer, all right? How do I do that? Especially if you find yourself uh, today, you know, existing in a situation that is less desirable than you really might have wished. Perhaps some of you work for a, a man or a woman who you would describe as kind of crazy, you know, and, and you're like, how do I respond to this crazy maker? Do I just, you know, give crazy right back to crazy? How, how do I do this? If I follow Jesus, I love Jesus, how do I, how do I exist this way? Some of you work for, for, for a real taskmaster, and they crack the whip hard, and they expect a lot out of you in overtime and more and more and more. And finally, you, you come up for air and say, you know, i, I got to have a few hours for my children or for my spouse. And he or she says, not here you don't. That's not the way we operate. You know, and how do you respond as a follower of Jesus Christ if you find yourself in that situation? How do you respond if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you work for a boss who she or he uh, embarrasses you just in front of everybody and by what they say or what they do, right? And, and, and it's, it's demoralizing. And how do you respond if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? How do you respond? How do you do relationship at work if you just work for an old-fashioned jerk? Okay. Now, my hope is that none of our 80 or so people on the staff of Faith Bridge um, who uh, you know, work here would say uh, they work for an old-fashioned jerk. But had a few of them said that 12 or 13 years ago, it wouldn't have been shocking. I'll tell you why. I remember in one memorable scene, we were taking a day-long retreat uh, to uh, just the offsite to do some strategic thinking. We had the butcher paper up on the walls, and I was up at the walls with the markers, and, and I was saying, come on, people, give it, let's, let's have some ideas. How can we reach more people? How can we uh, minister to our community and provide needs for people's needs in this community and, and touch more lives for Christ? And on and on, give me some ideas, ideas. And they were, they were trying, everybody was throwing out, well, we could start one of these, and what if we did one of these? And, 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 but something inside my soul was broken. And I, somehow I just didn't perceive we were having this breakthrough moment that I was wanting to have. And I was growing more and more frustrated inside. And it's not that they weren't trying, but I think I convinced myself in that moment they weren't trying. And so finally, I just lost it and exploded and threw my marker up and it hit the ceiling. And I said, am I the only one around this place that cares? Am I the only one who cares around? And I turned on my heels and I walked out and the door slammed it. The problem with doing that sort of deal is once you're on the other side of the door, then what do you do? You know, because you, you, you kind of, it's done. And so um, I just got in my car and went home. And within an hour, I had settled down. And of course, the Holy Spirit began to, to, to prick my spirit and convict me of very inappropriate handling of people and brought to mind any number of those faces who were sitting around the table with me and reminded me of 
any number of ways that they were indeed rolling up their sleeves, working very hard, serving the Lord as faithfully as they could and trying to reach people and touch people for Jesus and bring help into the community and on. And, and about that time, the doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and it was Pastor Dan. And Pastor Dan said, brother, why don't we go take a walk? And that was an important walk uh, because in that conversation, I remember he guided me to become a better boss. And that was the day I, I, I made a significant change. And I don't, I don't respond that way um, anymore. I don't do that anymore. It was also the day I began to take Prozac. And that has helped <laughs> a lot. And <clears throat> so, <clears throat> uh, but some of you, you, uh, <laughs> you still work for a boss who does that kind of thing, or worse. And how do you respond? How do you respond if you're a follower of Jesus in that kind of dynamic? Well, the text that we come to today as we continue our journey through 1 Peter is very helpful uh, along these lines. And it's a very relevant word for all of us, this question that we're asking, right? Because really, if you think about it, you add up all the hours, waking hours that you're at work, you're there more hours, waking hours, than you'll ever probably, unless you're on vacation, get to spend with your spouse or uh, with your children in a given week. And so th there's a lot of uh, time that we, in our lives, we've got to figure out how do I be a Christian? How do I live out this, this journey with Christ in the workplace? Let's look at what Peter says. Chapter two, starting in verse 18. Um, He'll start with the word slaves. Be assured, we're going to come back and we are going to talk about this and, and bring clarity to it. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those that are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing something wrong and you endure that beating. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure that, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Verse 23, two, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate and when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. I want us to talk about this, and if you're an outline sort of person, I want to tell you the outline. Here's where we're going to go. Three big uh, points that I would like to talk about. First of all, why did Peter say this to slaves 2,000 years ago? Okay, we have to deal with that one first. Why in the world did he say what he said here to slaves? Number two, what does this passage have to do with us? What's it mean for me today in our time, in our context 2,000 years later? And number three, how will we ever be able to pull it off to do what he's saying, especially when we're running short on inner motivation. That's what I want to talk about. First of all, why did he say what he said here to slaves? Because it's quite normal, if that's the first time you ever saw that passage, it's quite normal to read that for the first time and think, Peter, 
what in the world? Why are you telling the slaves to submit to their masters? Why aren't you telling those slaves, stand up for yourselves and band together? Christians, this is an injustice. And you need to throw off the bondages of slavery. And Jesus would surely want you to do that, right? Enough's enough. You should get them to say that. Why aren't you saying that, Peter? To say that Jesus would want us to submit, that's ridiculous. Laying down, that would only allow those godless people to snuff out Christianity. The gospel will never get it spread around the world if we take that posture. And if you said those things to Peter, I'm sure that he would have rolled his eyes and said, don't waste my time telling me how you wish Jesus would respond in that kind of circumstance. Let me tell you how he did respond. I knew him very well. I studied his life. I was his apprentice for three years, day and night, many a night. We would lie on our backs, gazing into the heavens that he had created, talking about these things as we went to sleep. I watched from the shadows as they dragged him off and prepared him for crucifixion. If anybody could have overthrown the powers and flexed his muscles, he could have done it. He could have done it in any of those situations, certainly at that ultimate one before the cross. But that's not the, 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 the method that he chose. He chose a different strategy. And so what Peter's doing is basically just saying, I'm just going to perpetuate. I'm just going to, to, to continue teaching what Jesus already did teach us. Did the strategy work? Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, Christianity did not get wiped out and smothered and become extinct. In fact, today, they say that more than two, uh, I think it's 2.07 billion people the world over claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. So quite the contrary. We didn't become extinct. Actually, Christianity began to spread like wildfire. How did that ever happen? Because through the centuries, the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus in every era have come along and have said, I'm going to take up my cross following the example that Jesus gave to me. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But Peter... Are you espousing or condoning slavery? No, nonsense. Slavery's repulsive. Always has been, always will be where it occurs, and it still does occur. Even real close to here, but I can't go down that track today. It's always been repulsive, sinful, deplorable slavery has. So why would he write this? Submit yourselves to your masters, Christian Christian slaves. Oh, and incidentally, half the Roman world was slaves. And so many of the new converts coming to Christianity, just do the numbers, they were coming in, they were slaves. And that's why he's writing this uh, to them. So why is he telling them this? Because Peter was also practical enough, strategic enough to do the math and to realize Christianity, Christians didn't number into the billions back then. They didn't even number into the millions back then. There's only several thousand of them. They were just a new, upstart, little, tiny movement, followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And he knew, calculating, if we tried to start 
dismantling this, this slavery society, then the government will for the first time have just reason to hail us as insurrectionists and they would put us down. He could see that. I mean, the government was already pinning the great fire of Rome on the Christians falsely. And so he knew we cannot start at this end of the pipe and, 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 and start there. No, we're going to have to use the strategy that Jesus used. What did Jesus do? He always came down. He always took the basin and the towel. He washed people's feet when he could have said, you serve me. I'm the king of kings. He never did that. He said, I'll serve you. Even unto death, let me wash your feet. And so Peter's just saying, we're, we're just going to keep going with that strategy. And so what he was saying to the slaves is, is hey, I realize this is the status that you're you know, in right now, but, but let's try to get past that. It is what it is. What I want to do is give you counsel on when you have no other option, what then? How do you let your light shine? Here's how you're going to do it. You're going to be an amazing slave. You're going to serve you're going to be considerate. You're going to be loving. You're going to, even, when they, they don't deserve, even when they're harsh, when they're rude, when they're just being, doing repulsive things, you're just, going to, you're just going to let Christ borrow your body and you're going to serve. And we're going to bank everything. We're betting the farm, Chris, uh, Peter was saying, that Christianity will spread because of the non-believing world will look at us and they will see the sparkling difference that exists between all of the Christians and all of the non-Christians. And the non-Christians will say there truly is something different, different good, not different bad, about these Christians. And one by one, they'll soften their hearts and say, I have to find out more about this thing that's going on inside of you. I want to find out more about Jesus. I want to become a follower of Jesus. So as Christians served their masters uh, faithfully, uh, sure enough, um, many of the masters became followers of Jesus. In fact, you find uh, even Paul addressing in one or two of his letters he, he, some instruction to the, to, the, to the Christians who were masters. Here's how you're gonna handle your slaves. You're gonna handle them with gentleness, remembering that Christ became a slave for you. So they're working within the structure to bring about transformation. And, and, and it was as if Peter was saying, trust me, if, if you'll stay with this strategy, it's not my strategy, Peter's saying, it's, it's Jesus' strategy. We will change the world. Because after all, if you can have a contagious witness and other people will invite and trust Jesus into their heart, he can flip the switch inside of them that will transform them far better than any of us could ever do it if you try to put them in a headlock or scream louder than them. That has never worked. That strategy never works for the expansion of Christianity. And so that's why he said what he said. Incidentally, before going on, let me just mention, although you probably already know this, as uh, slavery has diminished over the centuries, not been eliminated, as I said, it is by and large the Christians um, who have led that about. And that's a good thing. And the Lord gets the glory for that. But it's not because Christians screamed louder than the non-Christians. It's that we took a different strategy. 
And that transformation came from the inside out in people's hearts by getting Jesus inside them. All right, so that's why he said what he said to the slaves. Now, let's move to the present because that's really what we want to know, right? Well, so how does it apply to my life? Thanks for the history lesson, but I got to go to work tomorrow. And, and so what does this mean for me in this time, in this context today? Well, especially since most anybody hearing my voice is not a slave, okay? Well, you, you probably are not a slave, uh, but you probably do have a boss. You do have an employer, right? And so Peter's words translate very appropriately for us in this time and context as well. Our circumstances are just a little better, most of us, uh, than the context and circumstances of those that, to whom he was writing. So <clears throat> it comes down to this word submit, and we bristle at that. Um, in fact, I, I read about a, a majority of people when surveyed said they didn't like their boss. And when asked, why don't you like your boss? The most common reason was because he tells me what to do. <laughs> so we have a hard time with authority, right? And, but the Bible clearly says in this passage and in plenty of others that when we challenge the authority that God has placed over us, we're actually challenging God. You can read in Numbers chapter 12 for an interesting case study of that. But Ken, you don't know my boss. Doesn't matter. He doesn't give any caveats or exceptions. Does he say, does Peter write, submit because you love your boss and because he's so good, because she's so kind? No. Quite the opposite. Verse 18, even, he writes, when you have a harsh boss, So we're not doing it because we love our boss. We're doing it because we love God. That's what it says in the beginning of verse 18, in reverent fear of God. We're doing this because we love God. We're gonna submit ourselves. Now I know any number of you, you're like, geez, can we just have a sermon about peace, love, and joy? I mean, last week and this week together, is, this, this, is, this is hard stuff. And I'll be the first to admit, it is hard stuff. This is not entry-level Christianity here. This is, this is upper-level stuff. Um, but let's just suspend all our disbelief for just a few moments, and let's just imagine, just, just, just think, if we said, I'm going to take the Jesus way, even in my circumstance, even with my boss, if I'm, I'm going to do that, just imagine the impact that it could make if you did this, not, and if you went to work and you did your work, not begrudgingly, but cheerfully, and if you didn't do the, the irreducible minimum amount, but you, you exceeded that and said, you know what, I'm just going to throw my all into it. Just imagine, over time, the difference that that could very well make in the lives and the hearts of others that are watching you. There's something different about you, they'd say. Different good, not different bad, something good. Imagine the difference it would make if Christian employees around the world just humbled themselves enough to say, you know what, I'll, I'll just, instead of just marching around to beat of my own drumming I, and acting like I, I'm superior and all that stuff doesn't apply to me, especially because I'm a Christian, which unfortunately I'm afraid some Christians do. Imagine if we said, you know what, I, I'm not going to take that pathway. Imagine 
the shining uh, reputation that could give to Jesus. See, I think we have to realize we are making a witness. It's either a good witness or it's a bad witness. Every day you're making a witness. What you're doing, how you're handling yourself, how you're uh, functioning, your work ethic, your, your, uh, your outlook, your tone, uh, your words, all of that. It's making a witness. Either you're making the name of Jesus sparkle or you're tarnishing his name. Especially if you tell people, I'm a Christian. Don't drag down his name because you're a bad employee, Christian. Right? Just think how it could be if... If Christians, you and I, if we prayed for our bosses daily, not prayed to go to hell, not that kind of prayer, but the, the kind of prayer that, that, that they'd go to heaven, that something would change in their hearts and that they would come to know the Lord and that, they, that the Lord might even use you in that process as a light shining brightly. Okay, there's no such thing as a neutral witness. You're either, you're either working for the Lord or you're working against him. So which is it, Christian? So does submitting mean that I have to stay in a horrible situation? Some of you are asking that. So, so is he saying I have to stay in a horrible job, in a horrible situation? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians, not Peter now. We're going to jump over to Corinthians. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. 1 Corinthians 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, writing, in a same general time period to the early Christians. And he's basically going to tell them in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 17, he's going to say, hey, I want you to bloom where you're planted. In other words, if you're married, because some of the Christians were saying, you know, I'm married to a person who's not a Christian. Now, I guess, should I get divorced? He was saying, no, 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 stay married. Um, If you're single, don't worry about it. Be single for Jesus. Let your light shine as a single person. Besides, you got extra time. Serve the Lord all the more. And then he says, slaves, if you're a slave, don't worry about it. Just serve the Lord faithfully even in that station. He's just saying, don't worry. But not, look at this thing he says in verse 21b. Although he's talking to the slaves at this point. He says, although, slaves, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Or if you can buy your freedom, do so. What's he saying there? Because uh, slavery was economically driven, and in some instances, a a slave could uh, earn money and rise up and and buy his freedom or her freedom. He's saying, hey, if if you got that option, knock yourself out, do it. Um, But what he's saying and what Peter was saying is, but many of you, you don't have options. You can't do that. So the point is, you're going to serve the Lord in whatever station you're in, however it is uh, that you are, wherever it is that you find yourself. Um, I want you to be a witness for Jesus that is winsome. Um, Especially if you don't have any options. So our context being a little different in that regard today, I think we can safely say, um, stay and let your light shine, but if you cannot uh, stay, especially if you're being asked to do something immoral or dishonest, uh, you know, or unethical, remember the, the governing principle in last week's message, there's always two authorities. There's God and then this other authority. 
um, be it the government, in this situation, be it uh, your job, your work, your boss. And remember the, the governing principle. Um, we always submit to that authority unless that authority presumes to move into a place of superiority over God's word and mandates that you violate God's word now. At that point, we have to find a way to say no, like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did. And maybe it means you'll get thrown in the fiery den, uh, fiery furnace or the lion's den, you know, but, but at least you'll know you've done the right thing. So some of you, you may need to, to, to buy your freedom and get out. But any number of you, you, like I don't really have that situation. Maybe it's just a transformation inside that you need. Um, I'll say this though. If you stay at your job, and you just hate your job, and you hate your boss, and you slander him or her, and you're sabotaging the workplace, you probably owe it to that company to begin praying about making a change. Why would you do that to yourself? You say, well, that's, that's easier said than done. I mean, I make good money, and I don't know that I can make good money as good as money. If I, oh, well, I know. I'm not saying it'd be easy, but I am saying here's... God's telling us you're going to have to wrestle with this. Now, I never found myself in a situation where I was wrestling about uh, ethics or integrity or honesty or immorality or uh, in any situation like that. But I do remember very clearly uh, how it was when I was in the fifth year of five serving at the large church in the woodlands where I cut my teeth in ministry. And <clears throat> in that wonderful place with those wonderful people that had shown me nothing but love and blessing and encouragement in my uh, youthfulness as I was getting started in ministry, I noticed something begin to happen inside of me that fifth year. It was along these lines. I'd be sitting at a staff meeting and my pastor would say, uh, we're going to go this direction. And I would find myself thinking, huh, really? Because, you know, if I were in charge, I would think to myself, I think we'd go that direction. But I understood the things that we've talked about, that we are talking about today, uh, regarding submission and all, and I would fall in line and run the play in the playbook that I was being asked to run and, and all. But I did notice more and more I was having these moments where there was this little inner pushback. What is going on here? And I remember uh, confiding in a trusted friend who was not a part of the church, who loves the Lord and speaks into my life from time to time. And, and I confided, you know, I think something is happening here and the church is changing. It's, some, it's just not, it's not feeling right uh, like it did. I think the church is changing or the pastor is changing. And that person said, well, maybe. But Ken, might it be that you are changing I mean, after all, you are five years older. You got five years more experience. You, you, you got some ideas that are sort of starting to try to blossom up inside of you and you're trying to figure out what am I gonna do with those? And, and that person said, you know, I think probably what you're gonna need to figure out is can you be all in where you are? And if not, that's not a sin. Maybe you just need to 
begin asking the Lord, what's the next thing? Well, I did wrestle with that for a good while and then finally sat down with my pastor and told him everything that I just told you and said, I, I, I don't know what comes next, but I know there is a next thing. And maybe I'll take an existing church and become a pastor of that or maybe I'll get to start a new church. I don't know, but, but I know there's a next thing. And I didn't know what his response would be and his response was Perfect. He smiled and he nodded and sat back in his chair and he said, you know, Ken, I have known since the day you started here five years ago that this moment would come. I didn't know when it would come, but I knew it would come. And so here we are. And I just want you to know, I think you're right. I think you've probably learned all the lessons that the Lord wanted you to learn here. I see stuff that's, that's percolating up inside of you and you've got some leadership abilities and I don't know what God's going to have you to do next either, but, but it's going to be good, Ken. And I just want you to know you have my blessing. You go do that. Now, I didn't handle every situation well and I've told you stories of that over the years. Uh, but I will say, I think I did that one right. And I sure appreciated his response, which is a salient word for those of you who are bosses and employers as well. So Peter's saying, if you have no options, don't let it bother you. You just serve the Lord faithfully. Paul adds, but if you can buy your freedom, you, could, you move on. Either way, you're gonna, you need to be serving the Lord. Um, so, having talked about why he said what he said, what it means for us today, I want to talk about one last thing. So, how can I stay motivated to do this? I mean, I want to be a good witness for Jesus and let my light shine and all that good stuff and go to work. And how, how am I going to, like, I mean, I'm feeling it right now, Ken, but, you know, tomorrow by 3 p.m., all bets are off. You know, how, how am I going to keep this posture, this spirit, and, and all? I think there's two things. The first is this. You have to remember who you are. We have to remember who we are. Remember, the rest of the book of 1 Peter is, is, it's all, it's him telling us over and over and over, remember who you are, Christian. You're one of his beloved children. He, he's handpicked you. And as such, you've been saved from hell. And, and you've been born into this living hope and, and you're being given an imperishable inheritance. You're gonna live with him forever in heaven, which makes this life just a little thin sliver of time by contrast. You have to remember who you are as one of his children. Don't lose sight of this. Because if, you're, if you lose sight of this, your heart will become recalcitrant and you'll try to save yourself and you'll try to right every wrong yourself and fix everybody. You can't do that. You're just gonna have to submit yourself to the Lord and say, I'm just, I'm just trusting you, Lord. So look at Jesus and remember who you are. Then look at Jesus and think about what he has done. Think about what he 
has done. What did he do? Well, look at verse 22 again. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so instead of defending himself, he, 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 he just said, Father, I'm just, I'm just passing through here on this earth to fulfill the mission that you've given to me in these 33 years that you're giving it to me. I'm going to trust that you will settle the score ultimately. And, and I think that's a good word for any of us, especially those of you who feel like you're being treated very unjustly and you are suffering and I wouldn't make light of that. And your job is very hard. And your boss is very difficult and cantankerous and all sorts of things. I'm not making light of that one bit. But let's remember this. The wrongs that, the sins that are done against us will either be paid back in one of two places. They'll be paid back in hell with that person or at the cross if that person comes to Jesus, which they just might, if you were to do what he's saying. And, and besides, who, who can get even better than God? I mean, do you really think it makes sense for us to say, you know, God, you just sit this one out. I'm going to settle the score here. God's like, no, really trust me. I can do this better than you can do it. So did Jesus enjoy being crucified? Of course he didn't enjoy being crucified. But he submitted to it, bearing the sins of the world in his body on that cross, suffering unjustly for your sins and for my sins as the sufficient substitution, dying in our place so that we wouldn't have to die in our sins, so that we wouldn't have to receive the hell that we deserved. And aren't you glad he didn't retaliate? Aren't you glad he didn't take things into his own hands? But that he said, I'm just going to go, Father, where you say I'm going. So let him defend you. Surrender to him. After all, what did Jesus do? He gave up heaven and put on the form of a man, the flesh and blood of a man, and he came to this earth, and he lived the life of, of sinless perfection that you and I, we never could live. And he died the death of punishment that you and I all deserved, and then he rose triumphantly uh, from the grave, signifying to all of us, you too will rise. If you're connected to me in faith, ultimately you will rise likewise to that imperishable inheritance. So look at Jesus, gaze at Jesus and surrender yourself to him and say, I'm just going to go where you say go. Dr. Helen Roosevelt, she did this. And what a difference her life made. Some of you know who she is. I confess I didn't know who she was until recently, several weeks ago when I was studying for this message. I'll tell you who she was. She was a medical missionary to the Congo. And she didn't flee during terrible years of instability, but she just stayed there feeling like the Lord's saying, I want you to stay, I want you to serve, I want you to care for the poor and the sick and the infirmed, and I want you to train others, since you're a doctor, how to bring that care to others in the name of Christ. And in 1964, uh, when the Simba Rebellion occurred, uh, she ended up being attacked and captured by rebel forces, and beaten, and raped, 
repeatedly. She was nearly killed. And you might think, well, boy, she must be one bitter soul. No. In fact, I just want to show you a brief clip from an interview that she did seven or eight years ago. Um, Watch her yourself. Take a look at the screens. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And that word privilege has stayed with me, I think, possibly more than any other one word in my Christian life ever since it's privilege. It's a privilege that he saved me. It's a privilege that he's allowed me to have any part in talking to others about him. Everything has been privilege. And the fact that I was told the same night that I came to know Jesus as my savior, that it's a privilege to have fellowship in his sufferings. And I just fear that in today's climate, we, that any of us who have the privilege of speaking to others, encouraging others to accept Jesus as their savior, we don't underline straight away that the Christian life will involve suffering. That, that it, in our country, we don't really know what persecution is. We may get jeered at, cold shouldered, laughed at. But we expect, in Muslim countries, we expect new Christians to accept suffering. Uh, and we think it's very marvelous of them. We don't think about it for ourselves, but we should all of us know that if we love the Lord Jesus, he himself said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And where was he going? He was going to Calvary. And we follow him there. The, the death to the self-life, the death, death to my ambition, my rights to be who or what or where I wish, the, the, the giving of that over to Jesus and letting him really live his life in and through us under any circumstance which will involve suffering. And he invites us. And it's such a privilege, such a privilege to be invited to share with him in his sufferings. I've got no panacea to offer you. I've got no way of saying you won't suffer. You will suffer. You should suffer if you're really a Christian because you're going to be indwelt by Jesus and he suffers. Now, some of you say, you know, I may not be suffering quite the way that she did, but I do feel like I am suffering. In my job, with my boss, the situation that it is. You say, why, why did you show us that? To, to try to make me feel like, well, you got it good compared, no. Quite the contrary. To remind you and to remind all of us, even if you've got good situations, to remind all of us that we who carry the name of Christ are called to be different, different good, sparkling. That's what we're called to in this thin sliver of time called life here on earth. And so what I think we need to remember when we're going through what we're going through, however bad it is, however good it is, is that all of us who've named the name of Jesus, we stand on the shoulders of Christians going back 2,000 years. Christians like Dr. Rosevere several decades ago serving where she was called. 
Christians like the earliest Christians who were fleeing throughout Asia Minor to whom this letter was addressed. We stand on the shoulders of these Christians. And I think the question needs to become not, how could I suffer a little bit less? I've got it coming to me, but rather, how can I make a difference for Jesus? How could my life make an impact for his kingdom forever? with whoever it is that I'm working around or for. But just imagine, think how it could be when perhaps someday from heaven's vantage point, you find out that somebody that you worked with or somebody you worked for had trusted in Christ at some point along the way in their journey, and there they are in heaven, and you found out that in an honest moment they said, you know, the truth of the matter is the reason that I'm here is because I watched you. I watched you day after day in rough situations, rough moments. And at first I thought, he's or she's just faking. It's just an act, but give it a little time, that'll wear off, and it didn't wear off. And then I decided, it's a coincidence. I must be just catching them on a good day. But then... Week after week, year after year, I watched you and finally I concluded, no, there is something altogether different about what's going on inside your soul than what's going on inside my soul. And that was when I sought out help and found somebody who said, I'll tell you what was going on inside of them. It's Jesus. And that's when I surrendered my life to him. And that's why I'm here. Just imagine, that could be your story, all of our stories. So what Peter is outlining here, it's, it's not a new strategy. It's an old strategy. It's Jesus' strategy. The question is, will we embrace it? Because that's what he calls us to. Because it's a strategy that's still working. Let's pray. Lord, this kind of passage is not easy. Forgive us, Lord, for uh, so easily making life all about ourselves. Some of us, we've got it really good. We do have it really good. And there's really no excuse. Some of us here, we really don't have it good. It is a very rough existence right now, particularly at, at, at the workplace or with a certain boss. And Lord, my prayer is that you would just sow the seeds of Dr. Roosevelt into all of us, into every single one of us. And that regardless of our circumstances, we would focus on who we are in you, Lord Jesus that we'd remember I am the Lord's child regardless of what's said about me, regardless of what's said to me, I am his child. I belong to the king of kings. I'm headed towards an imperishable inheritance. And that you'll help us to gaze continually at Jesus who handled worse than we ever will when he bore the sins of the world upon himself but did never retaliate and did what is totally counterintuitive to all of us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. Won't you help us, Lord, to be refortified daily so that we can live for you in whatever 
circumstances we find ourselves. I pray, God, that you would use us, faith bridgers, to serve as bridges for people all around, that they might indeed come to faith for having looked at our lives and studied it long enough. And friends, here, if you're hearing my voice and you say, I don't even really think I've ever trusted in Christ in the first place, then that really is where you need to start. Because anything short of that, you'll just be trying to roll up your sleeves and, and sort of bring about some behavioral modification and, and change yourself from the outside in. And you might have a good day and you might actually piece together two in a row, but it'll, it won't last. The only way that we can really do what he's called us to is to have him operating on the inside of us. And so, Lord, my prayer is that any such person who has not opened their heart to you in the first place would even in the quietness of this moment say, Jesus, I want you to come in. I need you to come into my heart, come flooding into my life, cleanse me of my sins, my shortcomings, my selfishness, my unrighteousness, fill me full with your power and help me then to learn what it means to follow after you, Lord Jesus. And even in the next few moments, Lord, I pray that any number of us, whether we're new or experienced, but if we're not connected, would move to the meet and greet and move into community since that too is one of the, the great refortifications that you give to us to continue all on in journeys that can be tough. So won't you help us? We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. My name is Michael Sullivan and I'm the business administrator here at FaithBridge. I'm joined by Pastor Ken who just gave us part two of our Surrender series. The sermon was titled Slaving Away and was teaching us how do we surrender in the workplace. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Sure. Uh, we've got a handful of questions here that came in. Uh, the first one is, is really related to that history lesson you gave us at the beginning of the sermon. Mm -hmm. And they're asking, what does it mean for slavery to be economically driven and how is that different than the economics driving African slave trade? So kind of what is the difference between first century slavery and then you know 18th, 19th century slavery right. that we saw here? Right, well, if you study the history of, of Rome, what you'll find is that uh, slavery was uh, rampant, half the Roman Empire. I think it was 60 or 80 million people, or I mean, lots of people were slaves. That wasn't unique to Roman history. Most every culture uh, has utilized slavery. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing about slavery in, in that era is that it had nothing to do with the color of a person's skin. Hmm. Um, it didn't even have to do with a person's education. Uh, so you had slaves who might be uh, that version, 2,000 years ago version of doctors, hmm. um, and but they were owned by somebody else. It was 
uh, economically driven in that this is just the way our, our system is built. Hmm. Um, which makes no sense to capitalists and, and those of us and doctors. What are you talking about? And of course, in the 19th century, uh, uh, the, that version uh, or iteration of slavery was racially driven, the color of our skin driven. And I might add, today there's slavery that's going on uh, that is all about you know, human trafficking and sex trafficking and this sort of thing. And so slavery is always repulsive, always has been, always will be, any iteration it takes. Um, but that's what I was, I was trying to just briefly, probably shouldn't have even mentioned it because it does beg the question, well, what did that exactly mean? Well, I was basically saying it wasn't the same thing as uh, black, white, color of your skin, mm -hmm. slavery of the 19th century, but it was still repulsive. Mm -hmm. um, so. Okay, well thanks for the added context sure. there. Uh, the second question that came in was, how does submission work when you question the ethics of your employer? Uh, basically, they're not asking me to do something illegal, but it doesn't necessarily sit quite right with me ethically, mm -hmm. maybe right there on that boundary. How do I handle that situation? Mm -hmm. Right, well, remember what we talked about last week. The, the governing principle is that there's, there's always two authorities in our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, in the situation of last week, the government, in the situation of this week, our boss, our employer, and then God. And we always yield to the human authority unless that human authority tries to usurp the authority of God and mandates the violation of God's word. But there are plenty of times when th that isn't exactly done. It, it, it might move into what some would call a gray area. It's not technically against the law, it, uh, but it is something is wrong about it in my soul. Mm -hmm. Well, I would point uh, the questioner and all of us to look back at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. So they had any number of situations that were thrust upon them by uh, the Nebuchadnezzar regime. Mm -hmm. um, before they had to eat the food, you remember, that's, that's the one thing they said, that this is not kosher, and God's word says clearly we cannot eat this. Mm -hmm. But they enrolled in the school that the, all of the captives uh, from Israel went through all sorts of, you know, what we'd call college, I guess, and they were, they were educated and they learned even the theology of, you know, which was a, a dark theology. It wasn't Judeo-Christian theology, but they sat there and they learned. And, um, and so uh, I, I think maybe there's two or three things th that are worth mentioning to this mm -hmm. questioner. Well, if something feels a little bit off, it's, it's not like call the FBI off, but maybe the first thing is, is there a, a respectful way that we could say, I, I don't know that I'm feeling quite comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. um, or uh, is there a, a, a more creative solution? Um, even in the instance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember they, they came up with a solution. They said, no, no, we can't eat this food because that would be a violation of God's word. But 
we got a solution for you. How about you just run a test and we'll be the, the guinea pigs and you just feed us uh, the vegetables mm -hmm. and uh, just measure and see are we any healthier or worse 10 days from, wasn't it 10 days from now? Well, that was a creative solution. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, that can be a helpful uh, concept. And then at the end of the day, I think we have to either be willing to accept the consequences mm -hmm. And in the instance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, but, you know, now we can't bow down and worship the, uh, this idol. Mm -hmm. that, that goes, that, that is, we cannot do that. Right. So you're going to get thrown into the fiery den. Well, then so we'll just let God do with us what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. Either he'll save us or he won't, but either way, we can't do that. Yeah. And so I think uh, maybe that can... Uh, be helpful to the questioner um, who's finding themselves in a little bit of that, that it's, it's, it's not quite there yet illegal, but I'm feeling a little uncomfortable with it. Maybe some of those thoughts can be helpful. You know, another thing is really, this is where community is helpful. Absolutely. I know we've talked about yeah, right. the meet and greet the today. grow groups and, and be in, get yourself into a grow group. There's nothing better than having some brothers, sisters in Christ who love the Lord and love the word. and process that with them right. and say, I'm in this situation and I'm being asked to do this and, and let some other pe people speak truth. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Help you examine the scriptures and see. Absolutely. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, this is kind of getting in the next two questions on how to handle a particular boss. Uh, and, and the first one is actually a boss who's a really nice person. Okay. Uh, however, uh, he's a Mormon and he seems to be actively sharing his faith with this individual and they're wondering, I'm the employee, how do I handle this? Am I allowed uh, to share my faith back, but I need to submit uh, and right. listen and yeah. how does this work? Well, I, obviously I don't know that circumstance, far be it for me to tell you, here's the answer. Mm -hmm. But here are some thoughts that perhaps can guide the questioner to an answer. Um, Jesus said uh, very clearly in several different places, uh, and we even saw that in, in Dr. Rosevere's testimony, uh, you're going to take up your cross. You have to take up your cross. You're going to follow me. You may very well suffer. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the Son of God has no place to lay his head. And, uh, you know, it's, you're following in my footsteps. This is going to be rough. Mm -hmm. Um, he says, the, you know, he who and she who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before the Father someday in heaven. And if you won't acknowledge me, then, then uh, I, I won't acknowledge Some strong things. So mm -hmm. I would caution the questioner about just pulling your punch all together mm -hmm. and just only listening. I think it's a great place to start mm -hmm. with any type of... Uh, faith sharing, evangelism uh, type of effort. We always do well to start by listening to where are you coming from? Uh, it sounds like this person is, uh, the boss, is coming from a very clear point of view that he's trying to proselytize and uh, he wants a breakthrough moment with the questioner. Mm -hmm. Well, so after listening, it sounds like uh, he, I think it was a he, has sufficient uh, training 
that he could probably handle a, a good question or two. Maybe you craft, maybe you do a little studying on your own mm -hmm. and craft a question that you put back. And, but what about this? And what about that? And, and let him wrestle some. And I think your tone says everything. If you're, mm -hmm. if you're respectful and you're warm and you're engaging and it's, and it's winsome and it's, it's said as a very nice boss and mm -hmm. friendly and it doesn't sound like a very hostile situation, but even one that might be begging for a little bit more than, that, than the questioner's choosing to hit the ball back over the net. Well, right. I would say go ahead and try hitting the ball back a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, but usually leading with questions is a non-attacking way to do that. Mm -hmm. A well-crafted question can really open a lot of dialogue mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, put your hands on your hips, standing up and saying, now let me tell you how it is. Yeah, well, that's not usually a winsome witness. Right. Um, so. I think that's helpful. Yeah, hope so. uh, the next situation is the opposite. It's, I actually have a very rude boss, someone who's harsh, uh, very You tired. don't have a Oh, I don't, you're right. <laughs> this is my boss and he's great. <laughs> Reading from the question here. Uh, that person has a very harsh boss. This one does, uh, gotcha. yes. All right. um, who feels like they're rude and task-driven and needs help really daily dealing with this. Now, the caveat in here is they claim to know the Lord, uh, but what should I do? Should I just pray harder for this person? Do you confront the person? Any thoughts? How do you handle uh, somebody who is a believer but is also rude and and difficult to deal with. Yeah, that's difficult. Um, well, yes, pray harder. And, uh, but here again, I'd probably point the questioner back to community. Mm -hmm. Who are you, who is helping you carry this burden? Mm -hmm. um, and if you're trying to do it by yourself, none of us can do that. He, that's why he gave us the, the, the body of Christ, which mm -hmm. we'll talk more about uh, next week, actually, the, the believers coming together and how do we interact with each other? Small group, grow group, you know, I hope you're processing that with these people who know your circumstance better than I can just from us looking at this sentence or two, mm -hmm. um, who, can, who know you, who can speak into your circumstance in, and, you know, help you to decide here's mm -hmm. maybe a, a step that you could take in this rough situation that you find yourself. Mm -hmm. And in, that is a difficult situation sure. for sure. Uh, and a lot of people are in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, okay, a couple more questions. Uh, this one is, I'm a stay-at-home spouse uh, and my spouse is in a pretty difficult work environment. They uh, you know, have a tough situation, heavy workload. Mm -hmm. How do I encourage or help? I don't really understand quite what they're going mm -hmm. through, but how do I, help them when they come home and they're stressed You're and right. have worked a long day? Sure. Well, which is a good question and a practical question. Uh, and so good for you thinking to ask the question. I think it can be helpful for all of us who are married and who have spouses. Perhaps the, the, the best counsel I can think of off the top of my head doesn't really have to do with what we talked about today, but has to do with a different topic. Um, which incidentally we're going to get to in this series. How do I uh, serve my husband? How do I serve my wife? Mm. And we'll get to that in parts four and five. Uh, so we're going to deal with the marriage relationship because Peter deals with the marriage relationship. Um, but 
Uh, I think of the book the, uh, on the five languages of love, or the mm. five love languages, mm -hmm. yep. and which has been a bestseller for a couple of decades. And it's not necessarily a, a biblical. Here's the verse in the, you know, the the text at each chapter, mm -hmm. but it is a very practical, I believe, insightful. Uh, conversation starter to, to help identify, well, if theoretically or realistically, your spouse has favors one or maybe two of the five love languages, uh, you know, meaningful touch or, or uh, acts of servanthood or on, the best way that you can communicate with that person is using that language. Now, the challenge in, in most marriages is that it's rare that two people that are married have the very same love language. Mm. So we tend to want to be communicated to by our spouse in our preferred love language. And we, so that means we want them to learn our language and then we want them to learn our language because we want to talk back to them or serve them or, or mm. whatever it is in our love language, which usually isn't ours. Mm. And so we have to grow in, in that arena. Um, but I might point the question or two to a simple little fun read along those lines in, in a good conversation on a date night or, or two with a mm -hmm. spouse to just figure out how could I do a better job of ministering to you? Because I can tell you're under a great deal of stress. The situation's hard. I appreciate all that you're doing, um, the sacrifices that you're making. I want to be a, a, a helpful spouse, not a, not a harmful, uh, you know, kind of spouse. And, mm -hmm. um so, I mean, practically, I can just illustrate from our own life, uh, Suzanne and, and my life, uh, my love language is, is, is what he calls in that book the, uh, the language of, of, of practical acts of service, uh, I think it is. A in other words, when Suzanne you know, prepares a dinner or brings home uh, things that I needed picked up because I didn't have time to, you know, and mm -hmm. just little favors like that. It just, just means the world. I'm like, oh, you love me. I love you. And it's, mm -hmm. well, um, you know, so especially if, if I'm in a stressful time or in a preaching season where I'm needing more time and mm -hmm. just to have her come in and say, I, I, I'm going to do this and this and this, which I know was on your list. means the world. Sure. That's a huge help. All right, last question we have here is, uh, how does this message apply for those who no longer work for pay? Uh, maybe I'm a volunteer uh, with my children's school or PTO or some sort of extracurricular activity in the community. Does this a sermon apply to me or I get the pass or what's the deal with that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think, no, no, there's, you don't get a pass. Um, I think it's quite safe to say that Peter was writing to people who, by and large, poor Christians, many of whom were slaves, uh, the, the, he was saying, no, you're not doing this uh, for money. You're doing this because you love God. Mm. And it's out of reverence for him. This is why you're going to be uh, a faithful uh, servant. Mm -hmm. And I think that then translates perfectly 
to any type of volunteerism. Sure. Uh, I think it translates in being faithful. If you say, I'm going to show up for, for this, you know, uh, block of time that you actually do it and that you don't say, well, something else came up and, and it's more important. Well, that's hard on an organization right. uh, if, if, they, if they're volunteer driven and they need people. And uh, so I think the message applies perfectly um, that we say, I'm, I'm going to submit. I, I'm voluntarily submitting myself the way Jesus did mm -hmm. uh, to this system. I, it's not because I'm getting paid. Uh, but it's because I, I want to help the, the organization, the school, the you know whatever program, mm -hmm. um, the ministry. I want to help this to do better, and so I'm going to come in, learn the the, the game rules, the playbook, the what's in bounds and out of bounds, and mm -hmm. I, I'm going to serve faithfully and wholeheartedly. Um, you know, in that, I might also add the the I thought where the question was going a moment ago, but I'm going to go ahead and just raise it and then answer it. Um, thought you might be getting ready to say, what if I'm the boss? Um, how does this passage apply to me mm -hmm. if I'm the boss? And sadly, um, th there have been plenty of bosses and even in the 1800s, slaveholders who beat this passage over the heads of their slaves mm -hmm. and says, here, you fall in line, uh, which is absolutely despicable, repulsive that they would do that. Um, I think the Apostle Paul helps us. Um, there's a verse in Colossians 4.1 that talks to the bosses, to the slave owners of 2,000 years ago and can apply just fine for us today if we're in the leadership role. Mm -hmm. um, notice what he says in, in Colossians 4.1. He says, masters, Grant your slave, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And so those of us who are in that role, we're the boss. I, I think we need to be careful that even though this text isn't really our text, mm -hmm. that there are other texts, even in God's word, even from slave times, even from masters who were coming to Christ, maybe because they'd been inspired by their, their slaves, mm -hmm. that Paul was saying quite uh, honestly and sincerely and passionately, hey, you have no business whatsoever being unfair, abusive. Remember who you are. You have a master in heaven. Um, and so why don't you act out of that knowledge and that awareness and, um, and that way, regardless of whether you're the employer or the employee, it can be said of you, uh, you're a good witness mm -hmm. for Jesus. Well, that's helpful. And this message really was helpful, especially for those of us who, as you said, we're going back to work tomorrow. And so this will help us as we journey through. So thank you for answering those questions and for the great lesson. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with Postscript as we sit down with Mike DeStefano after he brings part three of our Surrender series. So please come back and join us for that. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.